Good evening. It's good to be here with you this evening. I'm honored to stand before you, and I hope that the things that we talk about this evening will be, first off, true. Secondly, I hope they're applicable to your life and beneficial. And thirdly, I hope you enjoy our time together, enjoy our study that we go through together. If you would, take out a Bible and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to get our story at this evening. Second Kings chapter 5 is the story of Naaman, and I'm going to apologize. I've been going between Naaman and Naaman all day. I'm going to try to stick with Naaman, but that's going to be the, the character, or rather the story under consideration this evening. We're going to read through this story to begin with. Second Kings chapter 5, the Bible says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable, honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Israel said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened, when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king of Israel, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel." Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abanal and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, much better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides. And he came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed now, I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please, take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, then if not, 
Please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer excuse me, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple into the temple of Rimen to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimen, when I bow down in the temple of Rimen, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has not spared Naaman this Syrian, while not in receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, now, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. And he urged him, and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants. And they carried him on ahead of him. And when he came to the citadel, he looked... He took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. Now when they went in and stood before his master, Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned his back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and receive clothing, olive groves and vineyard, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, white as snow. <clears throat> so as we think about the story of Naaman this evening, I want to start by considering who Naaman is. Who is Naaman and who does Naaman represent? Naaman was a commander of the Syrian army. And that's important because in Old Testament times, he was not from the people of God. He was not an Israelite. He was not someone who traditionally God would speak to or God would help. But he was also a leper. He was a man who had an incurable illness. An illness that would eventually take his life. He's a man that has an encounter with a prophet of God. He's a man who washes in the Jordan and is healed. And then he is a man that, is, that returns to Syria full of joy. As most of us know, the story of Naaman is a great foreshadowing of God's plan to salvation. Think of the picture that the Old Testament writes for us for how water baptism saves. How water saves. First, we have this flood, right? The big picture, God saves Noah and his family by baptizing the whole world. Later on, in the story of the children of Israel, they cross through the Red Sea and they are saved from the Egyptians. They are saved by water. Now we come to this story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 where we have this individual baptism for physical cleansing. And then we know in the New Testament we can see individual baptism for spiritual cleansing. 
Now, if you've been in the Church of Christ very long, you've probably heard a lesson that resembles the story that we just talked about. How Naaman's story correlates with water baptism, how Naaman represents a sinner, how Naaman is saved through his obedience. But this evening, rather than go through and use this story to talk about water baptism and individually saving sinners, what I want to do is I want to view this story through the lens of evangelism. I want to view this story about a man, a leper, who had this uncurable, terminable, termin, terminal disease that did not know the true God, who was converted to a clean Naaman, one who was cured from his disease, one who knew the true God. And what I want to look at is the process and the people with which he was saved. The people that he encountered that without these people, he would have not been saved. He would have continued to be a leper. <clears throat> so the first person that I want to talk about this evening is the little servant girl. The little servant girl. Verses 2 through 4. Starting in verse number 2, the Bible says, And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. So as we begin to think about this little, seemingly insignificant little servant girl, I want to talk about the other end of the spectrum first. In this story, what good are the kings? <laughs> Right, You have these important men, respectable men, that had power and authority. They had been in leadership. The king of Syria, he can't heal Naaman. Well, then Naaman goes to the king of Israel, and he gives him the letter from the king of Syria. And what does the king of Israel say? Oh, Syria is just trying to pick a fight with me. They know I can't heal him. He's trying to pick a fight with me. What good were the kings? The kings weren't of any use to Naaman. Rather... It was someone who was insignificant. Someone that, whose name we don't even know. This girl was about as low on the, to, on the totem pole as you can get. She was a captive. So she had gone and been ripped out of her home and taken to a far country away from her family. She was a girl and she was young. She had a lot of things working against her in this day and time. We don't know her name. We don't know anything about her. Yet it was her. It was this, this small girl who introduced, who introduced hope into the life of a dying man. So, I want to ask you, and no one has to raise their hand right now because we are all little servant girls. But who is capable here of being a little servant girl. We all are. <laughs> we can all introduce people to Jesus. We can all introduce people to the Lord. You know, people who are like this little servant girl, they may not be the greatest teacher. They may not be the best with words. They may not be the best with people. 
They may not have the experience to handle every situation. They may not know the Bible thoroughly enough to be able to study it with someone. But we can be willing to introduce sinners to someone that does. To someone that does. We are all capable of being little servant girls. We're all capable of introducing people to Jesus. Introducing people to the Lord so that they can be saved from their incurable disease. What would Naaman have done if this little servant girl would not have introduced him to Elisha? He would have been lost. He would have died. <clears throat> the next character in our story that I want to talk about is Elisha. Elisha the prophet. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. A couple of observations just as I was thinking about this in relation to how we can be like Elisha. Elisha was not in Syria, and Elisha had no way of ever meeting Naaman. He didn't. But what Elisha was willing to do was give direction to Naaman whenever he was introduced to Naaman. Elisha would have never known Naaman without the little servant girl. But whenever Naaman was brought to Elisha, Elisha was willing and able to help him be saved. You know, no one can be everywhere and no one can know everyone. But we can introduce people, um, excuse me, but we can be willing to study with people when they're brought to us. We can be willing to give people the direction they need when they need it. So this evening, I'm going to do something a little different. If you're willing to study the Bible with someone, if you're willing to teach somebody the gospel, whether it's one part, two part, three part, four part, however many parts you can come up with, if you're willing to do that with someone, I want you to just raise your hand. It's not, if you're, if you're not, that's okay. Now, everyone who can be a little servant girl, keep your hands up. It wasn't just a wait, raise your hand one time. Look around and see who the Elisha's, who's willing to be like an Elisha. Okay? You can put your hands down now. The goal is no one can be everywhere and no one can know everyone. But you know who you know and now you know who's willing to study the Bible with those people. So if you're willing to introduce someone to those people, then like Naaman was saved in the story of Naaman, the little servant girl introduces him to Elisha, then you too can do that for someone else. The next character that I want to look at is the servants. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. The Bible says, But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. 
Are not the Abanal and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, far better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Listen. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet would have told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So Naaman had just gotten through receiving the instruction from Elisha. Elijah says, go and dip in the water seven times in the Jordan and you're going to be healed. And Naaman says, what? <laughs> Why would I do that? doesn't make any sense. Something so simple. I was expecting you to come out and perform this big ceremony and call on the Lord and do something cool. And you just want me to go baptize myself seven times. What was the servant's role in Naaman's conversion. Naaman did not like the direction that he received from Elisha. He was furious about it. He was ready to just head back to Syria. He said, I'm not doing that. I could have went to the rivers in Damascus where the water's even better, and I could have done this there. Why would I, why would I do something so silly? But do you notice, without the, the servant's relationship that they had with Naaman, Naaman would have died. Without Naaman's servants to encourage him, to love him, to help him, to change his mind, he would have died. You know, when we think about the gospel and we think about the difficulties of relaying this repentance and this change to people, it can be difficult. The truth is difficult. Changing your life is difficult. You know, it seems like... I was going to say back in the day, but that's different for everyone. So before 2000, right, what was converting someone? And I was five years old in 2000. But I'm going to say a lot of converting someone back then was, you know, everyone went to church, so we're just going to change your doctrine and you're going to start coming to church with us now. And you're going to come to the Church of Christ now. Well, in 2022, folks, most people don't go to church. It's not, hey, we're just going to change your doctrine a little bit and you're going to start coming to church with us. It's everything you've been taught or not taught, everything you haven't been taught from the time you were a little kid, it's all wrong. And we've got to change a whole bunch of stuff about your life and we've got to, or you've got to change a whole bunch of stuff about your life. We've got to help you. It's going to take a lot of babysitting. It's going to take a lot of encouragement. You see, it's, it's more about being involved in people's lives. And as we think about converting someone, as we think about teaching someone, repent, confess, be baptized, and walk in newness of life, it's going to take the servants. It's going to take the people that are willing to be friends every day of the week. It's going to be, take people that are willing to call someone every day. Go see someone every day. Study with someone three times a week. Whatever it takes to encourage that person. Because 
It's hard. And like Naaman, if they don't have servants, servant-type people, they're going to turn away. They're going to go back to Syria. So, as we've gone through our study this evening, I want you to look at the board, and I want you to identify which one of these you can be. Maybe you can be multiple. You can be all three. But the fact of the matter is, we have got to strive to be one of these three if we're going to be active, successful Christians. I don't know if you remember, but there was a fourth character in our story. Right? Maybe the antagonist of the story. That character's name was Gehazi. Let's briefly look at who Gehazi was. Chapter, I'm sorry, verse 25. Now when he went in, speaking of Gehazi, and stood before his master, Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I've become a dad and I have a two-year-old. But I can just picture this scene so well. Right? It's like Charles walks in, his sister's crying. You say, why did you hit your sister? And he's going, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I didn't do that. And that's what Gehazi's doing. He's playing dumb. He's saying, I don't know what you're talking about, Elijah. I didn't do that. But what did Gehazi do? Gehazi used Naaman's conversion... Naaman's conversion to gain physical wealth for himself. He, used, he exploited somebody else's salvation to gain for himself. You know, Gehazi was called in this story a servant of God at one point. But, but where was he in the conversion of Naaman? What was he doing to help the man that needed to be saved? He wasn't doing anything. He was, he was doing the exact opposite. He was taking away from the mission. He wasn't furthering the mission. He was hindering the mission. You know, Gehazi had problems, whether it be greed or selfishness, whatever you want to call it. He had problems in his own life that prevented him from helping others. Gehazi did. And when I think of Gehazi, I can't help but think of myself. Gehazi was a lifelong, multi-generational Christian, right? That's who he represents in this story to me, in the story of evangelism. He was a servant of God. He was walking the walk. He was, or he may not have been walking the walk, but he was talking the right talk. But he refused to deal with his own sin. He refused to get his own problems out of the way so that he could help Naaman. So that he could take the sinner and help him be saved. You know, I suppose there's lifelong Christians that aren't interested in spreading eternal life to others. They're not interested in it. We may say we're interested in it. We may talk the talk, right? But what are we doing? If we're not introducing people, if we're not studying with people, if we're not encouraging and supporting people, what are we doing? 
We have to look inwardly before we can look outwardly. What was the penalty for Gehazi's sin? Verse number 27, the Bible says, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous, as white as snow. The problem that Naaman had, the problem that the sinner had, the punishment for that came upon Gehazi. It came upon Gehazi because Gehazi looked at Naaman and said, you know what, I'm the servant of God and you're the sinner. And I'm going to do what benefits me because you're down here and I'm up here. And when I think about my life and I think about the talents, the time, the situations that God has blessed me with, the family that God has blessed me with, the upbringing that God has blessed me with, Sometimes I look at my life and I think, I'm Gehazi. I'm Gehazi. I look at sinners and I refuse to help them because I'm scared, because I'm prideful, because I'm selfish, you name it. This evening, let's not be Gehazi. Let's not have the attitude that Gehazi had. Rather than hurt the mission, rather than hinder evangelism, hinder bringing sinners to Christ. Let's help bring sinners to Christ. This evening as we close, I want to remind you that we are one of these four people. You're one of these four people, and you're either helping the mission or you're harming the mission. We're not maintaining the mission. You're either hurting it or you're helping it. And let's all do our best to help it. Let's all do our best to be one of the three types of people that can further the cause of Christ, that can be more evangelistic rather than the kind of people that are selfish and keep, keep this great prize that we have to ourselves. That's all I've prepared this evening. If there's one this evening that needs the prayers of the church, if there's one this evening that needs to be baptized, we'd be happy to assist one of either class. Please come as together we stand and sing the song of invitation.